I'll only tell one other Israel story, I promise. Um, we were at Masada, and when you're at the top of Masada, there's a lot of star- stairs to go down to kind of a, a real special place of Herod's palace that's down there. And uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but so we started uh, with Chris and Heather, and I said, hey, let's go down and see this. There's amazing frescas and things like that. And again, keep in mind, their very first time to Israel. And so we go down all these stairs, and we're now there, and um, somebody was kind of looking, staring at us, and I kept thinking, what's, what's kind of going on? And then came the question, are you Chris Laurie? And looking over, and I'm thinking, it's his very first time in Israel. We're at a very obscure place on top of this mountain or whatever. There's no more than 20 people in this area. And the question, are you Chris Laurie? And then the person went on to say, you know, two weeks ago, you spoke in Spokane, and I was there. So, again, you, you, Israel is such an amazing place, and uh, you reconnect with people from literally all over the world. So, with that in mind, I am going to talk today about one of my favorite prophets. And um, just to sort of get started, uh, I want to plant, this is kind of what I call the pre-introduction, I want to plant some seeds. I want you to realize that we have an amazing opportunity in the days in which we are now living. We can look at our world and we can complain, which we do often, but what an opportunity we have to live in these days where I believe God is beginning to wrap things up. It's important for us to understand that as he does that, he just doesn't do that on his own. He wants to use his people. So we have the opportunity to live in this day, understanding what in the heck is going on, and I believe that God's intent is to have at least one last huge harvest. Here for Anthem, do you realize what an amazing opportunity we have as we've birth a new work here and we have a clean slate and the question is is that with this clean slate what's our vision what is our passion what is God calling us to do and we don't have to do it the way it's been done in the past we have a clean slate right what an opportunity that's standing right before us today And so as we begin to prep the soil, there are times throughout the scriptures that God will bring spokespeople, we call them prophets, into the land, the people, to speak a message from him to them. Now, believe it or not, I'm going to preach from the Old Testament today. And I want to talk about the prophets, and I want to know, 
what one prophet in your mind in the Old Testament just jumps out at you? Okay, I'm going to give, uh, let's go with this section. Anybody think of a prophet right now in your mind from the Old Testament on this section? Who? Micah. Okay, somebody else over here? Isaiah. Okay, how about the middle? Ezekiel. Who? I still didn't hear that. Micah. Micah, Micah. Elijah. Elijah. Okay? You haven't gotten to my list at all. Nobody's gotten any of them yet. Okay, over here? Yes. Haggai. It's great to have my grandson here to spoil my big introduction as far as who it's going to be. You know, when we think about the prophets, sometimes we think of different terms that go along with them. If I were to say Moses, I'm sure you would all say lawgiver, Moses, Red Sea parting, Moses, manna, right? If I were to say David, what would come to your mind if I said David? man after God's own heart, an adulterer and a murderer, but a man after God's own heart. So all of you adulterers and murderers here today, good news, you can still be a man after God's own heart, right? Uh, If I were to say, um, David, I said David, if I were to say Daniel, what would jump to your mind with Daniel? What's that? A lion's den, okay? A mystic, Daniel. But if I were to say to you, Haggai, I have a feeling that I would see mostly blank looks. Haggai, who in the world is this guy? And every so often, I think we need to have a visit from Uncle Haggai. I think we need to invite him in and say, you got anything for us today? Do you have a word from the Lord for us today? But let me first start by giving you an introduction of this guy. Let me get in a time capsule and let's go back in time. We think about Solomon, and we think of David's son Solomon, and David wanted to build the temple, right? And God said to David, no, you're not going to build the temple. Okay, That's going to be for your son to do, but Solomon is going to have the opportunity to build one of the most amazing structures that this world's ever known, the temple of God in Jerusalem. The temple is built, it's dedicated, and and the presence of God is there in Jerusalem itself. An amazing time. And for Israel, God called them for a purpose, and he said, I want to use you, this small little nation, to be light bearers. I want you to testify as to who I am, because I don't just love you, I love this entire planet. 
I love humanity, and I want you to be my example to them. And so they were, and so they did, but years go on, and pretty soon hearts grow cold, and they distance themselves from God, and God then began to bring prophets in to speak to them. And basically he said, wake up. You need to go back. You need to remember. Remember my covenant with you. I've made promises to you, but I've also said, if you do this, then I will do that. But again, deaf ears. And pretty soon their whole identity of their relationship with God was this temple. This amazing temple, gold, jewels. And then all of a sudden God said, what happens if I take that away? And the belief was God would never do that. That's his presence here. But guess what happens? The Babylonians come in under Nebuchadnezzar and they destroy the temple. They raise it to the ground. They take the Israelites captive to Babylon. There's probably, the scholars would say, there's over a million that were taken from Jerusalem itself to Babylon. And God said, you owe me 70 years. You're going to be here for 70 years. Now I'm getting to Haggai. Because after 70 years, remember Isaiah, it's an amazing prophecy. Isaiah said, and he calls Cyrus by name 100 years before he's born. And he says, I'm going to raise up a king whose name is Cyrus. And he's going to allow my people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild. Now I hope in your mind some names start popping up. Because we're in Babylon. We're living by the river Kibar. And all of a sudden the edict goes out that says Cyrus has dictated anybody that wants to return to Jerusalem, you can go. And in fact, he's going to give us incentives to go. There's a million of us there. Do you know how many people decide to leave? To get up and go? Less than 4% actually go. Somewhere around 40,000 people decide, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be part of this process of rebuilding God's house, rebuilding the temple. Less than 4%. We could spend this sermon talking about those that stayed, but I want to travel with those that decided I want to be part of this new movement. You see the parallels that I'm going to probably start drawing here? We have that opportunity here as a brand new clean slate church to return to rebuild. To rebuild the house of God. I hope if Anthem CDA is your home church, 
if there's one thing that I could plant in your mind, it would be don't settle, think big. Don't settle, think big. Because I believe God wants to do amazing, great things in the day in which we're living. Anybody here believe that? I would hope that we could circle this date and five years from now, if the Lord is still, hasn't returned, I can tell you, remember when we talked about that five years ago, that God was gonna do great things? Look what he's done. And yet, how is he gonna do it? We all believe he can, but will he? And if he chooses to do it, who is he going to use, Chris? The leadership? Well, let me take you back to our guy Haggai. So Haggai's one of those 42,000 that says, I'm going back. And so not only does Haggai go, you got guys like, anybody here of Nehemiah? What comes to your mind when you think of Nehemiah? He's gonna build a wall, right? What about uh, Ezra? Name sound familiar? Ezra's gonna come back and he's gonna say, you know what, we can have all these things. We can build a wall, we can rebuild the temple, we can do all this, but if we don't have the word of God, we're a dead people. So Ezra's gonna come back and say, we have to have the word of God in our midst. If we're gonna be the people of God, if we're gonna shine forth, it's not our thoughts and opinions, we need to say this is what God's word says. So these guys are coming back and they are pumped. 42,000 are pumped, they're back. Now they encounter rubble. It was devastated. It was razed to the ground. But these people were ready and they began to work. And Nehemiah said, we gotta have a wall around this city. And when we read Nehemiah, we say, we, we realized that the people responded and they had a mind to work. And in the first two years, they, they rebuild the altar. They rebuild the walls. But then opposition arose. And then all of a sudden, things shifted. And after two years of an incredible spirit of building, things started to wane. And so 16 years later, we come to our guy. Uncle Haggai shows up. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. We're going to cover chapter 1 of Haggai. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. We should have a contest and see who can find it first, okay? Just head to Zephaniah and turn right. And if you have a New King James Nelson Bible, I think it's on page 829, okay? Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And we pray that this word, which you've told us, is alive and living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you've told us that both the Old and New 
Testaments are for us, profitable for us to learn your ways, to hear your voice. And so even though this was written thousands of years ago, Lord, we believe that Haggai wants to speak to us here today, here in Coeur d'Alene, as we seek to build, to be part of the process of establishing a beachhead for the work of God in this area. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see the things that you would have for us. Haggai, chapter one, verse one. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Let's stop there for a moment. If I were to give a tagline to Uncle Haggai, I would say that Haggai is going to come in and kick the people of God in the rear end. You know what I mean? Last Sunday was Family Sunday, and so I think this is the G version of being a rear end kicker. If you go to PG-13, it would be butt kicker. I'm not going to go to the other one, okay? But all I'm saying is every so often, we need this message. We need to hear God say to us, consider your ways. How's it going for you? You're working hard. Are you satisfied? Are you filled? Are you content? And yet my house, my house lies in ruins. Haggai was sent to mobilize a directionless people at this time to do great things. But because of their circumstances, because 
of what they were facing, their focus on the work of the Lord turned and their focus began to be on themselves. We just got back from Israel a couple weeks ago and when we pulled into our house, I was shocked. I, I, it was like a jungle, okay? The weeds were like up to my neck and I couldn't believe it and I thought, this is just crazy. We weren't gone that long. And the picture that I want to plant in your mind right now is that when the children of Israel returned, that 42,000, that less than 4% returned, they built the foundations. But now after 16 years later, those foundations were weed infested. You couldn't even find them. And God is going to come and say, let's consider our ways. These people say, it's not the right time yet. Yes, we want to rebuild. Yes, we believe that God wants to do great things. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm just not sure this is the right time. And we do a great job in what I call speaking Christianese to one another. So when we feel like God is on the cusp of doing something great, we want what? We want to say, we believe that this needs to be happening. We, we need to wait for confirmation, right? We, we need to wait and make sure that we don't get ahead of God. We need to make sure it's his right time to do it. And then we get people that pat us on the back and say yeah and then here's the ultimate one I know God wants to do great things I know he wants to do this it's going to be costly or whatever you know what we need to do let's let's lay out a fleece let's just lay out a fleece and see if God confirms all this when in reality all we're doing is what we're just procrastinating right we're just pushing it away we're just saying, now these people say, now is not the right time. And God's going to say, oh, it's not the right time. But is it the right time for you to be dwelling in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Consider your ways. And what were those ways again? You've sown much. You bring in little. Anybody there? You eat. You don't have enough. You drink. You're not filled. You clothe yourself. No one's warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses? You know what? I didn't include this, but when Solomon built his temple, his father David said, you know what? We're going to get the best wood possible. And you know where that wood's going to come from? The cedars of Lebanon. And we're going to send and we're going to have the cedars of Lebanon brought down to Jaffa. And we're going to bring it and it's going to be the building materials that we use to build the temple of God. 
And most people don't realize this, but when you're reading in Ezra and these people go back and they're rebuilding the foundation and all that, Ezra said that they sent word and they purchased cedars from Lebanon to be brought to Jaffa to be used to build this next temple. And I wonder at this time, when God is addressing the people and he's saying, consider your ways, you're saying now's not the right time, now is the right time. You've got it mixed up. Your priorities are all about you. Where am I? My house lies in room. Is it time for you to live in your paneled houses? Is it possible that all that building material, those nice cedars from Lebanon, became decorative for their paneled houses? In the Hebrew, saying these are elegant houses. And yet, my house lies in ruins. So the people are stirred. But he then goes on to say, I'll pick it up in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, build the temple that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the oil on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. So once again, Uncle Haggai is coming in and he's saying, this is what the Lord is saying to us. We need to consider our ways. We need to understand that he has to be our priority. Now, here are some verses that I know that you're familiar with. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things then will be added unto you. Or maybe this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The book of Haggai is a prophet that's coming to the people of God and saying, consider your ways and your priorities. You have flip-flopped the situation. You have asked God, and assume that God is concerned about blessing you. And how often is it in this world that when we talk about discipleship, we actually get it wrong? Why do you come to Jesus? Why did Jesus call you? Did he? Did he call you by name and say, Jed, come follow me? 
Sometimes when we stand back and we look at this world that we're in right now, we get it backwards. And we somehow think that Jesus wants to give us our paneled houses. That Jesus' job is to bless us. And in other words, it's as if we're saying to Jesus, come follow me. And whatever I have left over, I may divert back to you. But if God is going to do great things, which did I mention I believe he wants to do amazing great things here, that would blow our minds if we had the opportunity even to stand on our tiptoes and get a glimpse of it. But what will it require? It will require us to, in a sense, hear this message and to say, you know what? I have to put my, I have to deny myself. I have to pick up my cross. I have to follow him. I have to delight myself in him and seek first his kingdom. And so the word then was, if you're motivated, if you're ready for this, then what do we do? Do we have a prayer meeting? We say, Lord, we pray that you bring workers. Lord, we pray that you bring um, the materials that we need. Lord, bring a millionaire or a billionaire into our congregation that will, in a sense, say, I'm writing a check. Here, go do it. Is that how God works? Or does God say, Go up into the mountains and cut some wood and bring it down and let's build the house of the Lord. How often do we want to pray for these miracles when God's saying, go up into the mountain, cut down some wood, and let's build? I was thinking about this and I was thinking that The Holy Spirit, I I know this is a no-brainer, but I still need to say it. The Holy Spirit never blesses laziness. Amen? God favors work. And if we want to see and experience all that God has for us, it's going to require much of us. It's not going to be our leftovers that we can give him to rebuild the house of the Lord, to make it the central place, the elevation of all things that will draw people. And all of a sudden we see, here's that word, revival. We see people in our community coming in droves to want to experience Jesus and what he has to give. Listen, we have an amazing opportunity We have a clean slate to do that, but God is going to be knocking on your door and say, are you ready? Are you ready for what I have for you? Do you want to be a part? Are you comfortable in Babylon? Do you just want to stay? Or do you want to be part of those 42,000 that go back and you're facing all this rubble and he goes, I can't wait to get started. We're going to do great things in this town. I believe that. 
I believe that with all of my heart, and I believe that God's saying, I'm ready. Don't say now's not the time. I think God's saying, now is the time. Let's go up into the mountains. Let's cut down some timber, and let's get building. Amen? Amen? Okay. Rest of the chapter we'll end with. Haggai verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. And so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. The leaders rolled up their sleeves and they led the way. The text says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of the people. And do you know what words he gave them to stir them up? Uncle Haggai came in and he didn't say, I got a long message from God for you. It's amazing, okay? Can't wait to give it to you. So sit down, it's going to take us a while. No, it's a short message that God gave that created this excitement, this stirring that created the motivation of the people to go up and to do and rebuild the house of the Lord. You know what he said to them? Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. There are no greater words. There's no greater understanding that Jesus made you a promise that despite what this world may throw at you, despite the valleys that you may be in, he didn't say, come follow me and I'm going to make your life as smooth as can be. I'm going to bless you, make you a, give you an abundant, blessed life. Jesus says, if you follow me, all hell's going to break loose in your life. Bad things, do you know that bad things do happen to good people? But I'm going to make you a promise. If you follow me, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I don't care how deep the valley is. 
I don't care if it's the valley of the shadow of death. Thus saith the Lord, Anthem, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you in this process. I No greater words for us to embrace, to know, to live out. I love to give titles to my messages. So the title of this message is How to Keep Your Engine Running Smoothly. It's got nothing to do with the message, right? But I, I love the title, you know? How to Keep Your Engine Running Smoothly. Um, what happens next, so I can wrap this up and we can celebrate communion here, is that, because I don't have the time to go through chapter 2, they, they rebuild. The young men, and you know what, as I look at Anthem, I see three different generations here. Okay, I see my generation. And despite what it may look like, I feel like I'm a 40-year-old trapped in a 68-year-old body, okay? But I see my generation, and then I see Chris's generation, and then I see the generation after that. And as I look at Coeur d'Alene, I think all of these generations are here. And God doesn't pick and choose and say, this is my favorite. But each one of these generations need to be equipped. It's that cliche, sold out on fire for Jesus. And we need to not just pray for the older generation, that my generation, we can have our way. Or for the mid-generation and say, no, we're just going to pour into you. But at some point, that baton has to be handed off to this younger generation as well if we're going to finish and be a part of what God's work is here. I believe that. And so as the temple was being rebuilt, the older generation, when they compared it to Solomon's temple... They begin to weep and mourn. Oh, this is nothing compared to what it used to be like. And this younger generation, they were so excited to be rebuilding the house of the Lord. They were just pumped and rejoicing. And together, you couldn't make out the difference. But this, this rebuilt temple didn't originally compare to Solomon's temple Right? They looked at it as Zerubbabel's second temple, but what they didn't realize is that this second temple that didn't start off with the gold and all of that, that the first temple had, is far superior in its glory because guess who walked into that temple and said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Who would have thought that this little thing that they put together, that they rolled up their sleeves, they cut down the temper, that Jesus himself would come into this and say, 
This is what it's all about. It's not about brick and mortar. It's about my presence here that makes it glorious. And that's what we need to do. We need to make his presence glorious that will draw people to him. So don't despise small beginnings. We gotta start somewhere. We need to roll up our sleeves and say, as Isaiah said, one of those prophets, when God said, who can I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. And may that burn in your heart. May you be the one that says, here I am, use me. And so in order to do that, your engines have to be running smoothly. So how do we do that? I was going to tell you in the very beginning, I don't tell jokes, but I have one joke, and I think only my family will get it. But um, how do I keep my engine running smoothly? Being the master mechanic that I am, that's the joke. I don't know anything about. There's two things that I do know. An engine has to have fuel to run, right? And then every so often, and I hate this, and if you're a mechanic here, I apologize, but every so often when you're driving your car, don't you hate it when the engine light comes on? Especially when you don't know anything about a car, the engine light comes on, and what do you say? Maybe it just shorted out. (laughs) Do I really need to take it in? Because if I take it in, I know that it's going to be what? A minimum of fill in the blank. So I'm going to just pretend. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm going to try to keep my eyes away from that light that's telling me you need service. Whether it's a tune-up or whatever the case may be. So... Not complicated, pretty simple. If we're going to rebuild, if we're going to be part of this amazing work that I believe that God wants to do, each of us as individuals have to have fuel in our lives. What is the fuel? There is no substitute for this. There is no substitute for the word of God. Husbands, your wives cannot read it for you. Wives, your husbands cannot read it for you. We have been given a tremendous gift of the word of God. We're told that it is powerful. That it will destroy strongholds. When Jesus was fighting Satan himself after fasting 40 years, what does he say to Satan? Does he say, do you know who I am? Do you know that I spoke you into existence and I can flick you off that easily? Or does Satan say, or does Jesus say, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of my father. No substitute. Fuel, you have to be devoted to the word of God. Second, prayer. You know, I just read this this morning as I was 
last-minute preparation. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Neglect of private prayer is the locus which devours the strength of the church. I read that and I said, wow, I want to build up an army that I want to launch out into this community and I want this army to be equipped with the word of God, but if this army isn't devoted to prayer, it is the locus that devours the strength of the church. Are you a person devoted to God's word? Are you a person that's devoted to private prayer in your life? This is the fuel that's needed. And then that engine light. Sometimes we need a tune-up when that engine light comes on. And that's what we have before us today is an opportunity to celebrate communion. And this is never done in a rush. Paul says that when we come to the table of the Lord, we need to, it says in 1 Corinthians 11, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Each one of you needs to examine yourself. I wish we had big reverb right now and and Uncle Haggai's words would be reverbing out, consider your ways. Consider your ways. We need to examine our hearts to see where we stand with the Lord. And that's what the table of the Lord is for. To come and to say, my life is an open book. The engine light's on. Holy Spirit, can you show me the things in my life that you need to fine-tune or replace Because I want to follow you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I want to be part of a revolution. I want to be part of a movement that turns this world upside down. And I believe he wants to do amazing things here. But without you, he won't. So it's time for us to go up, cut down some timber, bring our shovels, and begin building the house of the Lord. Amen? So we're going to have a time of communion now. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And it's an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. It's not a rush. Come, partake of the gifts of Jesus for his church. As they come, let's remember. Jesus is at the Seder and he's with his disciples and he's washed their feet already. And he's saying, learn from me. This is an example 
And then he picks the cup up. It happens to be the third cup, if you know the Passover service. And the third cup has a title. It's the cup of redemption. And Jesus says to his disciples, this cup now represents my blood that will redeem you. My blood, which is not like the blood of bulls and goats that simply cover over, but you need to do that every single day. No, my blood has the power to redeem, forgive, and cleanse you from the inside out. It's my gift to you. As you come to this table, remember my blood shed for you. And then he took the bread and he broke the bread and he said, you know what? This is my body that's broken for you. Take, eat. And when we think of the bread and we think of his body, we think of the words of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. It's all about me. If you want life, you need to come to me you need to partake of my gifts to you. And as you come, and as you receive, remember this simple truth. Jesus is Lord of all, and his words to you in love, come and follow me. And his promise as we do that is, and I will be with you, says the Lord. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. Come, partake when you feel it's time for you.